Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. Um, I was telling the worship team as we were praying this morning that this is a, a hard word, uh, just to warn you, so it is what it is. Maybe it's just hard for me because, you know, I'm a rebel at heart. I don't know. But why don't we please stand uh, as we get into God's word. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 36 in a message that I'm titled, Less of Me. Uh, and we're going to be focusing primarily on verses 22 to 30, but we are going to be reading from 22 all the way to the end of the chapter. John tells us that after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aenon at Salim, near Salim because the water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For we whom God has sent, for he whom God has sent, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Just a simple old Anglican prayer that I really like. Father, make the book live to us. Show us ourselves. Show us our Savior. And make this book, Lord, live to us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. What I really want us to primarily look at this morning is that in a world that is all about me, how can we become more like John the Baptist? In a world that is all about me, how can we become more like John the Baptist? Less of us means making much more of Jesus. I have one week in between when Pastor Lisa Marie was here last week and, and Lent starts next week, so we're going to be getting into the book of Isaiah. It's very prayerful and speaking with my creative team on Tuesday a couple weeks ago and was really hopeful that I could get something about prayer and go over a psalm and do all that wonderful stuff. And came in last week and Pastor Jonah asked how the sermon was coming and how I was doing. And I was like, eh, well, here's where I've landed because I really believe this is where the Lord wants us to be. And he asked the question, well, that's not a psalm and that's not about prayer. <laughs> I said, but this is what I think the Lord needs all of us to hear. And I think that it's a good word. Um, it's a little bit of a hard one, and, but we're going to walk through it over the course of the next 35 minutes or so. And, and I, I'm going to 
talk just a little bit about myself, which, you know, some people think I talk too much about myself. Others don't think I talk enough about myself. So um, somebody's wrong and somebody's right, and because I don't really care one way or the other, it's purposeful with what it is I'm going to talk about. I think it's, it's very important for us to really understand um, where we're going to go with this. But I remember back in 2003, which was like eons ago, uh, for me anyway, it seems like, one of the defining moments of my life happened. I've been back... Um, credentialed as a minister of the gospel for quite some time, probably at that point, six or seven years, and uh, was not doing anything in ministry at all. And I had become very upset and angry at the fact that I was not doing anything at all in ministry because it hadn't worked out quite the way that I had wanted it to work out. You see, because I had my plans, and God better follow those plans. Uh, I know that we're all like that at some point. And that, that's how I felt at that point. And I found myself back at my old job at a place called Wyeth in Georgia, Vermont, where I had been working for some 15 or 16 years. Uh, and I wasn't pastoring anywhere. And it wasn't working out the way I had intended it to work out or the way I thought it was working out. And lo and behold, in the midst of all of that, I was actually training my replacement without knowing that I was training my replacement. Now, if any of you have ever been in that position, it's a really uncomfortable position if you know it. When you don't know it, it hits you like a train when it comes about. I had settled back into a job that I was very good at. I'd been running a warehouse, and I was a supervisor and all that stuff in charge of a whole bunch of people who actually were a great group of guys. And I had settled into that. I was good at that. I was very good at it. But I wasn't called to that. That was not what God had designed for me for my life, but it hadn't worked out the way I wanted it to. So I went back to where I was comfortable because I figured that ministry wasn't going to happen because it wasn't moving on my timetable. It's not a good thing to do because God always has other plans, doesn't he? See, man plans and God does what? He laughs. That's right. He laughs. Well, he was laughing pretty big. Let's see, So there I was where I shouldn't have been. And all of a sudden, on December 11, 2003, I lost that job. Totally unexpected. I didn't realize that we were going to be laid off. I was training somebody who I thought was going to take my position, not my place. Big difference. So I went on from there. And I went from being in charge of everything because I was so comfortable with running the warehouse and what I was doing and knowing the job inside and out and doing it in my sleep. And I ended up in a machine shop where I didn't even know where the on button was on the machine. I mean, I'm not ungifted in making things, but I am not the guy that you want to line up to cut a straight line on a piece of wood. Say nothing of trying to work with a machine or anything like that. And I remember at some point over the first couple months that I was there, leaning over this machine, trying to figure out how to make it work, and I said out loud because it had finally struck me. I said, okay, Lord, you have my attention. You have my attention. If you are stubborn like I am, I would say to you today, perhaps you should be a little smarter than I was and ask him for some advice and listen to it before he needs to get your attention because he will get your attention at some point. See, I was mad because I didn't get what I wanted at the time that I wanted to get it and the time that I thought it should happen. But I was so unready for ministry at that point and there were so many things that I needed to learn so I went back to what I knew and what I knew I could do and what I figured was the best. And I figured that was it for me. I'm just going to plug along with that. But you see, God didn't call me to that. That was not the purpose that God had designed me for. But I didn't have the courage to step out and die to myself at that moment and say, okay, Lord, what is it you want me to do? God was going to have to help me out a bit with that. 
because I was very comfortable where I was. You see, when we commit our lives to him, and the songs were perfect today. I know that they were picked because of my um, low level of skill uh, in, in quick training and whatnot, but they were perfect today. When we commit our lives to him, we are at that moment saying with John the Baptist, what? More of you, Jesus, and less of me. Why? Because when we discover that Jesus is the answer to our questions and the answers to our problems, we realize at that moment in time that it's too much of me gets me into the mess that I find myself in. So it needs to be less of me and it needs to be more of him, doesn't it? That's the way it's supposed to work. That's where we struggle. We have to be careful. This is something that really hit me hard, and I want you to hear this. We have to be very careful because the farther away from that moment that we have given our life to Jesus, the farther away from that moment where we say more of you in my life and less of me, the farther away we get from that, the more comfortable we become with ourselves, and we continue to step back and we step back. Guess what actually happens? We stop saying more of you and less of me, and we start saying well, more of me so long as I'm okay and comfortable and, and I'll take you as it goes, but let's see how you can fit into my plans, Lord. And we, we lose that voice in our head at that moment that we had confessed Christ as king because we step into saying um, more of me and less of you and we fight against that very thing that we confessed. We have to be careful to be aware that we can find ourselves in that place where we are no longer saying more of you, Jesus and less of me. Why, why is that? Because it's very unnatural for human beings to walk in the less of me mentality, isn't it? It's very unnatural for us to walk in the less of me mentality in a world full of it's all about me. In a world that is so full of that, God is looking to make us think more and more like John the Baptist here in John chapter 3. More of him, less of me. Now, how does he do that? Well, that's the difficult thing we're going to tackle because you need to understand that the growth of the church, our church, little C, and church, big C as a whole, across the entire world, the growth of the church is directly tied to our ability as his people to make much of Jesus and very little of ourselves. And that's the struggle that we have. We hit a wall when we have to make very little of ourselves. Our desires need to become secondary. Our comfort needs to become secondary to what it is God is calling us to do. We need to engage a world and engage the Holy Spirit when he's challenging us and growing us in these areas in a way that conforms us to the likeness of Christ. You see, Paul understood this. Paul did this on a regular basis and he got in trouble because he put himself last always for the cause of Christ. At the cost of his back, at the cost of his freedom, at the cost of everything. And he says this in his first letter that he writes to the Corinthian church. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To win the Jews, I did what? I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that doesn't mean the law is no good, but he's not under it anymore, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may, may win those outside the law. To win the weak, what did he do? I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all, Paul tells us, for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. 
I don't do it for me. It's not about me. I do it for the sake of the gospel. You see, when our focus is wrong as people who follow Jesus, the gospel itself is lost. When my focus becomes wrong, the gospel itself is lost. It's no longer about what Jesus wants to do in and through me. I go back to work at a warehouse after years of studying for ministry. Why? Because my focus was wrong. See, that's not what's going on in John's gospel here. There's a lot of things that are happening as we understand who John the Baptist is. And the identification of a few things I think is going to be important for us to understand. Purpose, gifting, ministry. Purpose, gifting, ministry. And we're going to circle around those in the little bit of time that we have left. And you're going to understand and I'm going to understand that John understood his purpose from the beginning. He knew what his gifting was, what lane he was supposed to stay in and what lane he was supposed to stay out of and what the ministry itself entailed for him. So let's take a look at that. He knew right from the very beginning that he wasn't the one to come. It wasn't about him. He had a purpose in life. He was the one who was the voice of warning to the people of Israel. And this is the testimony of John, John chapter 1, starting in verse 19. When the Jews sent Levites and priests to ask him, who are you? He confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. It's like a game going on down by the river, you know, with Bob Barker asking 15 questions, trying to figure out what's going on. You answer it right, you get what's behind door number two. That's what they're trying to figure out. All John keeps telling them is who he's what? Who he's not. I am not the one that you are expecting. And he's saying it to those who of all people ought to have known what was going on. They should have recognized what was happening because they were paying attention to what was going on in the time and what was happening with the events in Israel and all around them. Those very people had no clue as to who they were talking to and what was going on. Be very, very careful to see that, to hear that, and understand that. They were looking for the Messiah, and they're trying to figure out who John is. Just because we have a knowledge, a head knowledge, in other words, we understand what we read in the Scriptures. We can open it up, we can read it, and we can say, I've got that. Does not automatically mean for us that we have a transformed heart and that we are a conformed person. That just simply means that we understand what the scripture says. In fact, sometimes our inability to make little of ourselves and admit that we don't have all the answers or have it all together, we end up becoming very blind to the clear truth of scriptures for us and ourselves. We have to be very careful. We have to make little of ourselves and admit that we don't have the answers because that's how God is glorified in the midst of everything. We make much of Jesus. And if we're making much of Jesus, then it doesn't matter where we are, in this building, out and about in the world, talking to somebody here, talking to somebody there. And it doesn't matter who you're talking to. It doesn't matter where you're talking to them, what they've done in their life, what they haven't done in their life. If we are making much of Jesus, we're seeing people the way Jesus sees people. And we stop caring about what our comfort levels are and what all of those people around us asking the questions, should I really talk to that person or should you talk to that person? That really doesn't look good that you're hanging out with that person. Who cares? If we're trying to make much of Jesus and help people understand that he passionately loves his people in this world, we're not going to care 
You see, John tells them very simply this, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And that's a direct reference to Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40 and verse 3. But they're asking him, are you Elijah? Why are they doing that? Well, because they're remembering what the very last prophet in the last book of the Old Testament had said. They're trying to piece it together. They don't know what's going on, but they're trying to piece it together. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. They know the day of the Lord is coming. They know certain things need to happen, and they're trying to piece this together. I'm not the one who you're looking for, but I am the big mouth in the desert telling everybody that this is what you need to do. They at least got that. Now let's think for a minute. In the way the world operates, John the Baptist had what? Every right to get fat-headed to start building his own little ministry and gathering his own little followers, being the herald of the one to come and to continue to draw people to himself if that's what he really wanted to do. He could have done that. He was building a pretty good ministry at that particular time, enough so that they came out of the temple to ask him exactly what was going on. But John knew his purpose, and his purpose wasn't to do that. You see, the minute Jesus comes on the scene, his cousin, six months younger than he is, both of them born of a promise from God given through an angel, John could have stood there and said, what makes you better than me? Because that's how the world thinks. Now, he didn't, but he could have. What makes you better than me? I'm older than you are. I got this whole corner down here on the Jordan already taken care of. You can go somewhere else. Start your own ministry elsewhere. I've got this covered for you. When I'm done, I'll let you know. But that's not how we are to think, and that wasn't how John the Baptist thought. For this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John knew his purpose was to make Jesus known, to make much of who he was. So what way do we think? How do we operate? Do we think that inward way? upon ourselves and what it is we want when we're comfortable and how that works itself out. What happens when we do that is that we begin to do things in order to get things. It becomes this performance-based thing instead of doing things for the glory of God and making much of Jesus. Everything becomes about performance. Everything becomes about transaction. What can I get in relation to this because it's about me? Makes for some of the most unhappiest of people in the world, doesn't it? Because you're never going to be satisfied and you're never going to hit that target. Anything done is done for reasons other than simple service. That's where we end up if we have a wrong mindset. Forgetting that our purpose in life is to be like Jesus. That is God's purpose for you and for me. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Romans 8.29. That's the deal. Our job is to bring glory to God and enjoy him daily. We make much of Jesus. We make much of Jesus. So I I got a question that I want to ask you men. And don't worry, I'll get to the ladies, okay? So don't think that we're leaving anybody out. We having fun yet? What do you do around the house just because? I don't say anything. Just think on it, please. You can take that home with you. Is there anything that you do simply because? Or is there always a motive behind what you're doing? I said don't say anything. (laughs) We know who's going to have a fun ride home. (laughs) Think on that for a minute, guys. Just think on that for a minute. And ladies, so you don't feel left out, how about you? 
Is there anything at all that you do just for the sake of doing? Or, or is there always something behind it? Ask yourself that question. I told you it was not fun. It was hard. I've been in this all week. As I always say, I've got to share my joy with all of you. So here we are. We're going down the road. You're welcome. <laughs> Think on that. It's important that we get a hold of this because we can tell if what we are doing is simply done as an act of service. We have a way to do that. The first thing we understand is that we don't get angry and we don't get anything in return. If we do something and our spouse or our significant other or somebody around us never says anything and never even notices it and you don't get angry about it, you're like, okay, thank you, Lord, and I just keep moving on. There you go. That's the first indicator that you're doing it simply because of service. The second thing is, is that we go back and we do it again even though we got nothing for it the first time. That's a strong indicator that we're operating in a way of service towards one another. See, I'm sitting here thinking about this this week, and I, and I realize that one of the things that I do in my house on a regular basis, and I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you because there's very little I do in my house, but I don't clean the bathroom to help Lisa out. I clean the bathroom because it's my house and I live in that house and I use that bathroom. I don't go in there and do it and go, okay, honey, I've taken that off your chore list. Pat me on the head. I just go in and I, I, I do that. It's one of the things that I take care of. I don't know how I got stuck with it, but there you have it. It's just, it is what it is. <laughs> but I don't do it for any other reason than I live there and it needs to be done. And then I move on. You see, John knew his purpose. John understood why God had put him on this planet. He also knew what his gifting was. He understood how to stay in his lane. He didn't want to do anything other than what he was gifted at. So we're back in chapter 3 and we find a discussion breaks out over non-essentials. It's always that way. We never have these deep theological divisions within the church. Well, sometimes we do. But for the most part, we're arguing over what? I don't like blue seats. I want pink seats. I don't like the white wall. I want the green wall. The carpet's a little bit darker than I want it. That's what we fight over. We got a non-essential thing going on here. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Okay. We aren't dealing here with the fulfillment of a call. We aren't dealing here with deep theological understandings and the mission of God upon this world. You know what we're talking about? Opinions about ritual cleaning. Do I wash my hands before or after? Why are you dunking people fully in the Jordan? So why are they asking that? You see, John's been baptizing in the Jordan. So there's a whole crowd going away from where? The temple, where all this stuff is supposed to happen, out into the desert, to this guy who looks like he crawled out from under a dumpster. So we're going to ask him, why are you doing it? And now we're going to take it a little deeper because there's got to be a theological argument here because we're uncomfortable with what he's doing. So we're going to talk about ritual cleaning. And then to put the icing on the cake on that, Jesus is starting to take people away from John the Baptist. So we're going to toss that one in too, just try and mess everything up. Oh, do you see what's going on there, Lord? Rabbi, he was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. You were the guy on the corner here for the longest time. Everything was great. They were all gathering to you. You baptized this Jesus. Now they're all leaving you. And you got this one guy over here arguing, well, you're not cleaning right. You're not supposed to do this over here. It just it sounds just like typical church going on here. What happens when people go elsewhere? What's the first thing we say today? Sheep stealer. You little conniver, you manipulator. You're stealing sheep. You're cutting in on my territory. Really, who gave you that territory? 
That's the direction we go. Fighting to maintain our own. Carving our own little spot out in the world and not letting anybody in and we're going to be darn sure we don't let anybody out. Because they're mine. So if somebody walks up the walkway, if they even choose to walk up the walkway, perhaps it'd be best if we met them elsewhere because that's probably where they would be more comfortable. But nonetheless, if somebody walks up the walkway and they aren't dressed right, they don't look right, they don't act right, they don't talk right, how far into the door are they going to get before? They are incredibly uncomfortable. Not far. Not far. That's what's happening. It's what always happens. So we carve out our own little area and we define who we are. And it shrinks the church. It's a very selfish way to be. And it's one of my major frustrations with the church if you haven't picked up on that. It drives me crazy when I talk to people. We are so guarded, and we refuse to work together. People who are working for the cause of Christ, because they aren't cut out of the mold that I'm cut out of, we can't give them the time of day. You stay over there on your side of the pond, and I'll stay on my side of the pond. We're not going to work together for the same exact king. Because I got my people, you got your people, and your peeps don't talk to my peeps because you raise your hands and our ceiling fans are too low, or we do all hymns, and you got that weirdo contemporary stuff going on, and all of that nonsense that happens, and we break it all down. How selfish. Petty jealousy, insecurities, and fears. Why? Because we're making much of us and little of Jesus. The gospel gets lost every single time. Churches turn around and refuse to reach out in their communities unless, of course, they can have their name on the biggest banner downtown so everybody knows what Church A is doing for the community. Instead of just quietly working down there, asking, what can we do? Can I hand out water at the marathon? We don't, no, we don't need any credit. We don't need any anything. We just want to be here to serve. Why? Because we live in this community, and we want to be here to help where help is needed. That's the goal. That's what we want. What are we gifted in? What are we called to do? I challenge you, find what you're gifted in. Find what you're called to do. And I got two words for you. They're not complicated. Do it. Do it. Why? Because we want to make much of Jesus. That's the goal, to make much of Jesus. I have lost more kids because of fundamental stubbornness. And they don't come to church anymore. I have these conversations with people as well because i got to get them to do it my way. They have to fit what I think they need to fit. And they don't come to church anymore. Not because they don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus, but because I made a jackass out of myself and made much of me and little of Jesus. Now, I am sure nobody here has ever done that. But we really need to get a hold of these things. You see, Jeremiah 29, 7. It's not on the PowerPoint, and I'm working on it. I want to read one verse to you, and then I'm going to go back into my notes. It's not on the PowerPoint. They were in exile, the people of Israel. This hit me this morning. This is what God tells the people of Israel, who were supposed to be separate from everybody, and this is how it was supposed to work. They're in Babylon. He commands them, through Jeremiah the prophet, to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Mere intelligent people, I'll let you wrestle that one through.
You are who you are because God designed you to be who you are. You can't be anybody else but who God has made you to be. And only you can accomplish what God has gifted you to do. You cannot do anything other than what God has wired you for. I read this all the time, but Paul makes it clear, whatever you do, now think on Jeremiah 29, 7, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Through him. You see, every single one of you sitting here today, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. You are gifted. And nobody but you can do what you can do. For the love of God, don't be me. The world suffers with one of me already. Be who you have been called to be. Bloom where you're planted. Everyone has a role in God's plan of redemption. Everyone. Nobody's excluded. Everyone. Too many of God's people, and this is a hard thing, This is a hard thing, so here it is. Too many of God's people across the board are educated beyond their obedience. We know far more than we do. And then we ask, help me to understand how I get from point A to point B. Do what you already know. There's a start. We are educated beyond our obedience. And that's a hard thing. I didn't like hearing that knowing that they ought to do something, perhaps even knowing what that something is, but because we don't like so-and-so, or we don't like what God's calling us to do, or we don't like the place he's sending us to go, or how things are going around us. I could go on and on and on, but you know what we end up doing? We do nothing. We do nothing. Do you know what that's called? It's a simple word, and this is where I got mad this week, if I'm going to be totally honest with you. It's called rebellion. It's called rebellion. And you know why I didn't like it? Because the Lord reminded me that that's exactly where I was when I got laid off in 2003, an absolute rebellion. I did not like the fact that God wasn't doing what I wanted him to do in my time frame. So I decided, okay, that was the two years I didn't tithe. And if you ever choose to do that, by the way, I would strongly suggest you don't. It won't end well for you. It didn't end well for me. Two of my highest earning years, I decided to say, I'll show you, Lord. And I ended up with less at the end of those two years than I ever did when I tithed my entire life. Don't put yourself in a place of rebellion. You see, the whole body suffers when you don't do what God calls you to do. It's not an isolated thing. The whole body suffers when we are selfish instead of selfless. And the world suffers as well. The world needs you. God wired you and created you and put you here because you have a purpose and you have a gifting. Do it. Follow through. Make much of Jesus. You see, John knew his purpose. Jesus has to increase as we decrease. He knew what he was gifted at. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourself bear witness Or bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. So he knows. He has no problem saying, look, I ain't him. I'm not called to build a ministry of followers. That's not my gifting. 
My purpose is this. My gifting is this. My calling is to lift him up and prepare people for him. To prepare who? His bride. To prepare his bride. That's what John's entire purpose was on about. Now, I do weddings. I don't do them much anymore, but I've done 60 in my life. Um, Most of them I've enjoyed a great deal. Some have been rather rough. And for a time, I am the most important person in the world to the people in that wedding when it comes to direction, when it comes to understanding what to do. Why? Because people haven't been married before, so they're a little confused as to what to do. So everybody comes to who? Me, the guy who gets paid to do weddings. So I am like the center of attention when it comes to making sure this runs. But make no mistake, because I don't make the mistake, ain't nobody there on that Saturday, Sunday, or Friday to see me. Ain't nobody in that room going, boy, the pastor looks good. Glad I came. He's got a nice suit. That's not what I'm, it's just not it, is it? You know what they're waiting for? Same thing I do for the bride to walk through that door. I don't think I've done one wedding where I haven't teared up because I have never seen an ugly bride. Not once. She walks through that door. I see the reaction on the groom. I see the reaction on everybody there. And then all of a sudden, I'm just a sap. (laughs) But they're not there to see me. The groom has his instructions. He instantly could care less about me the minute he sees his bride. I am now just the dude with the binder who reads the vows. That's all I am. I'm getting from point A to point B. But make no mistake, the groom and the bride are the center of attention. I've gone from being the one that everyone looks for for instructions to nothing. Why? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Because the wedding is not about me. It's about the bride and the groom. That's what John's saying here. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Friend of the bridegroom. Friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must do what? Decrease. So by the time the wedding's over, all they want from me is to thank you, Lord, for this food. In the name of Jesus, bless the steak, and I'm out of there. Because it's not about me. The bridegroom, the groom himself, has his bride, and the celebration begins. My purpose was to make that happen. That was John's purpose. Why? That was his ministry. He knew his purpose. He knew what his gifting was. This was his ministry, to be the friend of the bridegroom. In other words, to play second fiddle, to prepare the bride, to fulfill the prophecy of Malachi. His work was done. His work was done. John knew it wasn't about him. He knew it wasn't about him, that it was about Jesus. He knew the whole time it was about Jesus. That doesn't mean he didn't struggle. You read elsewhere in the Gospels, he struggled. But when we really begin to understand that it's not about me and it's not about you, but rather it's about him and reaching a lost world, which he died for, we realize that we all have a purpose. Each one of us has a purpose. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. We all have a purpose. He must increase. We must decrease. That's the goal. And here's another paradox of the kingdom. I got two minutes. If the worship team could just come up and take their place, please. Here's another paradox of the kingdom. When we realize that Jesus has to increase and we make much of Jesus and we understand that we have to decrease in order for that to happen, it's in that moment that you can be everything that he has gifted you to be. 
That seems weird. If we die to ourselves and we live for Christ, being conformed to the likeness of Christ actually makes me more of whom I'm supposed to be. Because he created me and he wants me to be everything he's created me to be. So that's one of the paradoxes. We can step into everything he's gifted us to. So whatever he's put you here for, printer, engineer, insurance executive, insurance salesman, photographer, worship leader, mom, dad, grandma, whatever it may be, do it all for the glory of him who created you. See, in dying to ourselves, we live for Christ. And I leave you with this thought. When all of that happens, and I said this was a fun word, didn't I? When all of that happens, we lose the need to compete. And I left this for last, because if you take nothing else away, hopefully you'll remember this. We lose the need to compete, to compare, because we don't need to anymore. And we find our identity in what we, and to find our identity in what we do, we don't need that anymore. So we don't need to compare, we don't need to compete, and we don't need to find our identity in what we do. Why? Because in dying to ourselves and living for Christ and making much of Jesus, we find our identity in who he says you are and in nothing else. Then we have the ability and the capacity to do everything we're supposed to do in a way that brings glory to him, in a way that helps us grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus. Why don't we stand? Those who are willing to pray, if you could please just take your spots. I just, as we we close here this morning, I just want to, I don't want to say too much more, but I do want to say this. This is what I'm called to do wherever the Lord plants me. And I sit down and I ask the Lord every week, what, are, what, do, what do we need? What does my congregation need? What do I need as, as the one who's leading? And sometimes it's, it's really, really easy. And, and sometimes I'm happy. Most times, however, it's very, very hard because when we're being called to be conformed to the likeness of our king, as a human being, I don't like to die to myself. But it's what we're called to do. Every one of you are uniquely created, knit together in your mom's womb. And in a world right now that finds life completely disposable, you have such intrinsic value to the creator of the universe. Allow him to speak to you. We're going to close in one last song. We've got people who are willing to pray. The altar, again, is open for those of you who need it. I would encourage you just to take this time to rest. When we're done with this song, I will pray us out. If you continue to need prayer, please move to the front. If you don't, please be kind and step out so that those who are still up here at the altar resting and just praying have the ability to be able to do so.